I want all of our listeners just for a second to take a real deep, good deep breath, just like a, and just calm down and not be overly anxious, but be comfortable. Try to be upbeat, try to be positive, look, listen, and learn, meet your child where they're at and really go into this holiday season with a really positive mind. Welcome back to another episode of the Unspoken Words podcast, hosted by Dr. Elisa Shippon Blum and the Smart Center. I'm Brandon, Dr. E's son and podcast producer. In this week's episode, Dr. E answers a handful of holiday-themed mailbag questions asked by our community. We chat about how to handle family relatives at large family gatherings, tips you can share with your teachers ahead of the holiday party season, realistic goals to set for your child while doing some holiday shopping, and more. To ask Dr. E a question of your own, please head to selectivemutismcenter.org forward slash ask Dr. E. That's A-S-K-D-R-E. And we answer your questions on this podcast, as well as on our blog and on social media. It's truly one of our favorite ways we interact with our community outside of Communicamp. So without further further ado, here's episode 19 of the Unspoken Words podcast, Holiday Mailbag. Hey, Dr. E. Hey, Brandon, how are you today? I'm doing good. Are you ready for a, a holiday mailbag episode? I am. I know so many people have questions about the upcoming holidays, so I am super excited to kind of go over the most basic aspects of the holidays, so not to overwhelm our listeners. I do want to say something, Brian. You know me. I'm never like short for words here, and I have always a lot to say, so I see this as my opportunity. I do want to say I know how exciting the holidays are. I'm excited for the family time, for the out shopping visiting people. And I know a lot of families that have kids in school are excited for the parties and the shows and performances. And it just is endless. I mean, the holiday times is a really busy time. But I think it's important to know that we have to, before we get into all these questions, we have to meet our kids where they're at and really have realistic expectations of what they're going to be comfortable with and what we can expect and how we Mm -hmm. can use these times, these holiday times is a wonderful opportunity for exposures, Mm -hmm. but also respecting where their child is, but also implementing skills. So it's a really fine balance. And one of the things that I've noticed about parents are that sometimes they have their own expectations of what they want the holidays to be and how they want their children or their teens to act in certain settings. And I think either talking to your treatment professional or just really kind of being realistic in if you already are about what can we expect. And sometimes having conversations with the kids is a great way to start this. Yeah, well, we'll get into all of that. But before we do, I'm excited about this episode. I think most of these questions have come in from, I think, Instagram, sent an email out. So we got a lot of good questions we we narrowed it down to five, it looks like. So I'm excited to get your perspective on all these. Before we get into it, do you have any fun holiday plans this year? I do. I am going to be going away with my family. It's a big birthday for me, and we're going to be traveling. And is it what, kind, what birthday is it for you? Oh, I am not sharing that information. <laughs> I am not sharing that information. Let's just put it out there. I've been doing this for many, many years. My kids are all adults, but I am not sharing that number, but it is a big number and it's a hard number to say. So let's move on. Where are you, where are you going on the trip? 
I'm going to be going to Arizona. I'm going to go to Scottsdale. I'm going to go to Sedona. Um, just going to have a great family time and just be together. Wow. That sounds fun. Yeah. Well, so if any listeners have any recommendations or, or live out there, maybe. Yeah. Scottsdale. Email or something. Yeah. Scottsdale, Sedona, send me restaurants, things to do. Um, I would love to hear. So definitely send us an email. I would love, love some advice. I'm doing some research with my kids, but always up for it. So let's yeah. get going, Brand. So many things to say in so little time. <laughs> All right. So let's start with, so these are going to be holiday themed. There's a good amount of different kinds of questions here. So let's start with, okay, how do I approach dealing with relatives? during family gatherings during the holidays that relatives, I guess, that aren't trained and aren't, you know, privy to the right way to handle a, a child, teen or, or adult with SM. How, how do I approach kind of managing that situation? Well, first of all, a really strong recommendation is to educate any family member that needs some education because so many family members have their opinions and sometimes their opinions, unfortunately, aren't going to benefit our kids. So educating family members is really important. We make this pretty easy. We have a document called About My Child, and it's located um, in the resource section on the SelectiveMutismCenter.org website. If you can't find it, please email us. But it's a great document that gives you a starting point about how how to interact with your child. And interestingly enough, for some of the older kids... And the teens, they will write their own document if they're in a comfortable place to do so. So they'll say, hey, I'm going to be seeing you over the holidays. Here are some ways to interact with me. And that's not a large percentage of kids, but believe it or not, I have quite a few that want to write the letters to their family. In addition to that, I just have some recommendations overall of kind of what parents should share with relatives in general, because you don't want to like give them an entire book to read. It really should be some quick, easy tips. And also in the background, help preparing our children for the gatherings as well, which I know we're going to get into. So as far as educating relatives, some of the things we like to say is don't go running right up to, you know, my child. So let's say your child's name is Becky. When you see Becky, do not immediately approach and try to make her speak. Just do not do that. Don't go running up like it's your mission. Avoid initial attention on Becky too, because sometimes that increases their expectation. They It causes more anxiety. So focusing on a sibling, another family member, um, don't ignore the child, but don't just go running up and trying to ask questions and giving them a lot of attention. Avoiding that goes along with avoiding initial eye contact to Becky. Just kind of eye gaze past her, greet the family, ask how the you know if they have any plans. Because in the background, we'll be working with the child on quote unquote common questions, action plans, sandwich questions. We're going to be doing games for younger kids and goals for the older guys to kind of prepare them for these gatherings. So this is a way to educate others. Get down on Becky's level and try to identify with her likes. So. Parents are going to bring, hopefully, a bag of props, things the child likes. So educating relatives to kind of get down on the ground with a, lot, a small child, you know, play with the cars, play with the action figures, the princess bag of toys, stickers the child might be handing out. Just kind of get down on their level and focus on that task rather than a lot of questioning. Our kids don't like to be treated different. So kind of joke, have fun, just kind of 
just enjoy the day without putting any pressure to speak. I can't tell you how many times families will share, they'll see a relative and say, and that relative will say, eh, hey, Becky, I'm going to get you to talk to me today. Absolutely. Do not focus on talking. Don't ask Becky to talk to you or anything like that. Don't try to win the lottery. You think, oh, I'm going to be the one to get her to speak. And don't say anything about Becky not talking. Don't mention up, are you not going to talk to me today? So just kind of take the word talk and kind of flush it down if you know what I'm saying. When you are asking questions, ask more direct and choice questions and avoiding that, again, direct eye contact. When you're focusing on a task, when you're asking a more direct or ideally a choice question, you're kind of minimizing the need to think and process rather than open-ended thought-provoking questions. Those are usually WH based, what, when, why, where the child has to put their thoughts together to say it. Yes, no. If you think about it, what'd you say? Yes, no. Well, yes, no is fine. That kind of allows for nonverbal. But if you were to say, well, are you in third grade now or fourth grade now for a relative? That's a common question because they may ask that. Or are you guys staying home or going away? What you're doing is you're giving that child the answer to the questions. With, and they don't need to think about it. So it is a good way using the choice questions. Provide kind of Becky some big shot roles. If Becky's a bigger sister, maybe she can kind of take care of her little brother or sister. Maybe she has something to show off like a pet. So asking questions about the pet or the sibling, those are a really great way to kind of interact. I would provide Becky with what we call some, in addition to those big shot roles with siblings, maybe a role in that encounter. Maybe she made cookies or a cake or she brought the supplies. So using, so kind of focusing on what she brought rather again than asking Becky a ton of questions. I think those are some really kind of good recommendations. And when you do question Becky, kind of more of away from the group rather than the hubbub of the kind of encounter. So yeah, these are just some beginning things. What do you think, Bran? You think they're pretty clear? No, I like those a lot. One thing I, I, I wanted to, to bring up is I know you've talked in the past about warm-up time. So if you think about a family gathering, especially when everyone gets there, they arrive, it's kind of overwhelming, a little awkward almost. You haven't seen relatives in a while. Maybe that's not the best time to like, like you were saying earlier, to just go up to, to, to Becky and start asking her questions. Maybe you wait, like, you know, you can kind of feel that out. I feel like as a person, wait an hour or two and then, then ask her a question. Just kind of let her like warm up a little bit to the environment. No, that's, that's great advice. And we definitely want to kind of respect that warm up time. And most parents have an idea. I mean, you mentioned an hour or two. The problem is most parties are only an hour or two. So a lot of our kids take the entire time. So there's things we can do to kind of decrease the warm up time. But you're right, though, like focusing kind of on the siblings, not going right up to Becky, kind of giving time. And, you know, I talk a lot about look, listen and learn. You know, it's hard to educate Aunt Sally on all of the things that parents are getting educated on. So the tips are important. But if you even say, hey, it takes Becky maybe, you know, 30, 40 minutes to kind of be a little more comfortable. My suggestion is kind of greet us as a whole. Don't go running up. When I feel Becky's ready, I'll start engaging her a little bit with you type of thing. You don't want Becky to feel ignored, but greeting the family as a whole and not focusing just on Becky is a very appropriate thing to do. Because again, some of these relatives, they want to make it their mission to talk to Becky and get Becky to talk. And also know that a lot of our kids are very sensitive. So 
the louder someone is, the more like outgoing somebody is, the bigger somebody is in terms of size and gregariousness, that can overwhelm some of our sensitive kids. So having that awareness is really, really important. I mean, you can't certainly say to somebody, hey, you're really big and loud, so you got to be careful. <laughs> I mean, we can't be you know, rude, but knowing that might not be an ideal time to kind of greet that family member. But again, some of the things we can do is definitely arrive to that party early, but let Becky know who's going to be to that party. Sometimes we FaceTime some family members so Becky could see them. We show pictures. We talk about things that will be done at the party, maybe spending time in the kitchen at first away from the hubbub of the group. There's lots of things parents can do. And again, having their sibling close by or a close cousin where the focus isn't just on Becky is also a really good idea. I think you might need to find another name because Becky, I don't know any young, young kids named Becky anymore. I don't think that's really a popular name. Well, I didn't want anybody to think I was talking just about them, Brandon. So I kind of came up with a name that was not overly popular, but I promise you one of our listeners is called Becky. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to come forward and go, wait, my yeah. child's name is Becky. Were you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> I want to move on to another question, but before I do, I also like the idea of the big shot role, like getting people, getting kids out of their head. That's not really about approaching relatives, but having them help with dinner, help with setting up, bringing a drink over, just stuff that you can focus on as like a task versus standing there just looking around. That's when you start getting in your head. Absolutely. And it gives them something to do. You know, not to get too scientific, but in the brain, there's the amygdala, that little almond sized area in the brain that's responsible for emotion and so forth. It also is kind of responsible for that kind of shutdown and fear response. So one of the ways we can bypass that is to give a child a focus, to give someone a focus to think about. Then you're using your cortex, which is allowing you to think. So if you're a big shot to your sibling, you're coming in with cookies you made and maybe with the parent or with the sibling we handed over, maybe we give them a job to do, like take everyone's coat. And if it's too hard for them to do it alone, maybe they do it with a cousin or a sibling or a buddy that's there. So together they're taking everyone's coat. Again, we have to know that child and what their comfort level is. We certainly don't want to rush that process. And I think parents need to really look, listen, and learn and, and kind of take note at parties in general. How long does it take for your child to warm up? And if there is someone there that's a pusher to speak when the child isn't ready to speak, those are the people that your child is going to be the most uncomfortable and anxious with. And again, using these opportunities as skill building. So handing, taking, frontline, while we set up the world, as we call the silent goals, getting there early, bringing a friend, focusing on the visuals, teaching people how to question, all of those things are important, but it's also very important to use this opportunity as a skill building time. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. I want to move on to some school-based stuff. I know our listeners love, love questions and your responses on and advice on the school and, and how to kind of navigate that world. So what are some tips you can share, you recommend parents share with their teachers, uh, their kids' teachers regarding holiday parties and events? It's a similar type of question with rel as relatives, but what, are there resources? Are there other things that you would, you would suggest that parents flag to their teachers going into the holiday season? Yeah, I think it's important. I think open communication with the teachers is really important. Hopefully most of our listeners have kids that have some sort of accommodations and interventions in school if they are diagnosed with selective mutism. Um, 
And that wouldn't come in the form of IEPs, 504s. And in some schools, it's nothing, it's not a formal quote unquote plan, but the teachers are educated on how to engage the child, but also different accommodations and interventions for that child. So it is important that the teacher is educated and parents need to have that open communication. Sometimes we have a central liaison, whether it's a counselor, psychologist, et cetera, that's our point person. And sometimes it's for the younger guys, it's the classroom teacher that we make that main connection with. And of course, teacher education is key. But one of the things that I want to talk about is, you know, many of our kids are, again, I talk about this a lot because it's true. Our kids are sensitive, louder, larger, lots of people environments. The three L's can be very overwhelming. And when you think about the holiday time in school, you get those more loud, large, lots of people environments with parties, assemblies, shows they're doing. You also get changes in kind of routines, And the need for transitions and preparing, all of those things are really, really important. So the teacher should definitely be talking about it with the class about how the day is going to change versus the typical weekday or the typical week and how that week is going to change. This is no different than what we do for parents with schedules in their home and the weekly and the monthly schedules to help prepare kids because the more prepared they are in a kind of benign way, like, hey, we're going here, the, you know, the assembly on Friday is going to be with the whole school instead of a small group. You're not scaring the child. You're saying it in a matter of fact way. And I think that leads me to being really careful how you do present this to the child. Again, if it's a younger child versus an older teen and how you talk to them about this, because with younger children, you don't want to act scared. You don't want to talk to the teacher in front of the child that's sitting in the kitchen. Like, I know the assembly's coming up and and Sally gets really nervous and I'm really worried about it. I, I've heard parents in session start to share their worries, their fears. They talk to their friends on the phone. You have to be really careful about what you say in front of your child because the, they will feel what you feel. They're very sensitive. They'll, you're projecting your own worries onto them. So we need to be careful. But, you know, one thing that we need to think about is, you know, for things like parties, class parties, that's really common, especially in the younger ages, definitely preparing who's going to be there, usually other parents, sometimes siblings of the uh, other peers in class, getting there early. You know, I can't tell you how much better it is to arrive early versus walking into a group. Can I repeat that brand? Because I don't think parents realize the importance of that, that again, for any group activity, be there one of the first people and have people kind of walk in versus you walk into a crowd. Yeah. I mean, that goes for anything, not just SM. I feel like when I go to events that, you know, for work or business or networking, I feel like I feel better about the idea of going when I feel like I can get there early and sort of just get comfortable a little bit, talk to somebody, just kind of like get comfortable, right? Break down the anxiety. So I think that's really good advice for anything. No, it is. It is. And you're an adult right? So you're able to kind of figure these things out, or you have learned this over the course of life. But for children that are preschool, elementary age, and even our middle schoolers and high schoolers, I mean, they need us to kind of prepare them and set the world up a little bit, especially the younger folks. As they move through therapy, we talk to the kids about this, the older kids about, hey, this is a reason we get there early instead of this is what we do so that they understand why and they can develop the coping skills for how to cope through situations. So as I'm working with the kids and our team is working with the kids, we'll do things like action plans. Where are we going? Who's going to be there? 
What are questions that can be asked? What are the answers to those questions? And what are things you can ask? Now, again, that's based on their specific stage of social communication on the bridge. So for our non-engaging kids, we're not going to have them verbally initiating right away, right? But we're going to be working towards different skills. So it is important getting there early. Sit, sitting with a buddy in class, so the teacher being conscious if the child has a couple good buddies, kind of pairing them and grouping them. And hopefully these are kids that the parent that the child has had playdates with or get togethers with. So again, they're with their comfy buddies in the midst of the class. Again, distracting and having a focus, bringing a sibling can be a focus. And it's also a big shot role. A lot of kids are proud if they have a young sibling, sometimes even their older siblings, they feel soulless with that. And they're proud to bring their siblings with them. It's like something they're showing off. So having a sibling come is is actually very soothing. We do that in session, Brand. Not to divert, because you know me, I can. But having siblings present for kids that are highly anxious or nervous about something is really a way that you're not enabling, you're allowing an accommodation, you're allowing a little bit of help to help ease that so that you can see the child make, so the child can make that progress and knowing what strategies you're going to work on, right? Knowing what stage on the bridge that the child is at or functioning at in that, in that location. This isn't a time during parties and gatherings to be bridging up a lot. This is a time to kind of get through it, but also know what you're going to work on. Can I give you an example, Bran? Yeah. So imagine being at a party and one of the other parents says, hey, I know it's like holiday time. Are you guys going to be going away? Now, typically, some parents may say to their child, hey, Sally, tell them where we're going, asking them to just put their thoughts together to maybe someone they're not even comfortable with. That's not the way to go. That's a big blooper no. The other thing is talking for your child. Oh, we're going to be going to Aruba over the break. I can't wait. We're going to have such a great time and almost leaving and leaving your child out of that encounter. But wouldn't it be great to kind of bring the child into that encounter? So I'm kind of thinking about my selective mutism triangle, right? Where you're bringing the child at the bottom into the communication opportunity by saying, hey, we're going away. Are we, are we going to be going here? Are we going there? No answer here or there. Tell me. For younger children, that's a really nice thing to do. Now, some parents may say, well, they know where we're going. So why would I do it? So maybe there's a different way to bring them into the encounter. But also as parents change the way they question their child to bring them in, the children get used to that. And for our kids that are getting older, they know that that's what we're working on. And that may be a game or a goal they're doing. So they actually participate for that. So kids do do it as we change the way parents bring kids into communication opportunities. So what I'm getting at is maybe the parents are a verbal intermediary. Maybe the the teacher is the verbal intermediary with other kids or parents in the room. So it's about knowing what we're working on in that group situation. I think that's really, you know, some of the advice I have. And again, giving them a role, maybe they're handing out cookies with a friend versus having to be verbal in that situation at that very moment. I think that's all really good advice. I want to keep moving on to some mailbag, other mailbag questions. But one thing I was thinking as you were talking is what do you think about the tip of notifying your teacher to give a student a task at a party or an event, just get them involved, give them a role. Sort of similar to the first question, the first, the first mailbag. Yeah, question. no, absolutely. Again, that's distracting. It, it's a big shot role. It's a confidence booster, but it's how you give them a role. Are you going to give them a role to get up and give an announcement? Are you going to give them a role to go around to every single person and hand something out by themselves? 
Or is it maybe they made some projects or they made some of the decorations and they set the table or they brought in some cookies and they placed it and they handed it to somebody like, right. or they went around with some friends and gave out some stickers or to a, an area in the group or a table in the, in the room. It's really about knowing what that their role would be that meets them where they're at so they can be comfortable in that situation. Yeah, I, I know that. that. Yeah. And I know it's about um, challenging kids. I do. And, and the goal is to challenge them. And the goal is to bridge up into you know, confident, social, verbal communicator. However, we need to pick and choose those locations of where we're going to work on it. In a loud, large, lots of people environment that's new, unfamiliar with people they don't know, is that the time to do a lot of bridging up or maybe some bridging up and realizing what they can do? And that's where getting that guidance from your treatment professional is really, you know, recommended. Yeah. Okay, great stuff. I want to move on to one more one more school related question while we're on the topic. Someone asked, should my child participate in the school performances? And if so, how can I prepare help prepare them for for said performance? What are some what do you what are some thoughts on on that? No, I think that's a great question because some parents will say, I don't want my child to be in a performance because they're going to be shut down. They're going to be anxious and they'll remember the year prior where they were shut down and they had a flat affect or the kid went home screaming or didn't go at all. So it's about preparing for that and knowing again, look, listen and learn. What is your child able to handle? Now for families that we work with, they're going to be completely different a year later because they've been in treatment. But for somebody new to this and listening to this podcast and just learning about selective mutism, I do suggest kind of talking with your treatment professional, hopefully you have one, to be able to say, what is the expectation for my child if that's not something you know? Because that's a great conversation. And that's a focus for our, you know, psychotherapy and our treatment is kind of to talk to families about what's coming up, kind of what to expect. And talking about school performances is definitely and shows is something that comes up. You want to discuss the child's role in the performance and again, the expectation with the teacher assuming the parents are in close contact again with the staff that needs to be educated. And we may need to see this as an opportunity to bridge down or just be okay with being there rather than having a huge role. And what does the child want to do? Some advice that I have, again, we don't want to test or hugely challenge the child during these times, but we want to get through it in a very productive time. That's confidence boosting Parent group a child with their closest buddies during these performances. Practice those. Maybe there's a nonverbal role for some of our kids of holding up a sign. Maybe it's being paired. Maybe it's wearing a costume. I've had lots of kids that can do anything and everything with a costume. I have kids that can read and be verbal with a script. So again, it's where is that child? We don't want to pressure them to sing or dance. We don't want to ask them if they sung or if they're practicing singing, if they're not there yet. We don't want to tell your child to smile. Believe it or not, that's not really a good thing to do in a school performance. Let them just be. There are kids that we've worked on smiling with and it's a particular child and the treatment professional should guide you for that. And one of the ways we help kids smile is we tell them, try to take the edge of your mouth to your ears. And if they even just think of that from a cognitive standpoint, it's amazing how they can just smile. So I know we're on video and our listeners can't see us, but just try that, Brad. <laughs> uh, so these look? are things. You look great. You look great. And accept what this child can do. Rehearsing at home in a fun, no pressure way is really important. 
again, having realistic expectations and parents should be upbeat and positive rather than share worries. And again, really using your treatment professional as a guide here. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. I wanted to go back to one of the things that we said in the in the podcast episode two weeks ago that was a replay of, of last year's holiday prep episode. But the holidays are a great time to practice these strategies. So I'm thinking about Sophie, my sister, your daughter, who when she had SM, when she was a little girl, she was running around our house with doing live performances, singing, dancing, putting on shows. But obviously in a school environment, she would never do that at that time, right? So I think a lot of your patients probably are like Sophie in that sense, where they'll be running around their house singing and dancing, want to do the performances. But how do you transfer translate that into an environment where there's more people around, right? I think we need to look, listen, and learn to what that child is able to do. For example, there are children that we work with that can get up and perform. They can do shows. They can They can actually... A lot of actors and actresses that are up in the screen that you see have had social anxiety. And when they're out of the screen, they're not the most conversational beings or competently social and communicative, but they can do it. But then the majority cannot. So we have to see school performances as for most kids that are younger, that are dancing and doing everything and everything at home, that they're not going to be doing that during a school show at this point. The majority are not. And so we need to bridge down and see what are they able to do. And some of the things I was giving you about being okay, bridging down, giving them a role that's nonverbal, holding a sign, praising them for that. I'm so proud of you for getting on stage. I mean, that's scary for anyone, Bran. No, I know. But I want to I go back to the practice, practice, practice part, because let's say they have one line or let's say they even have one. Let's say they're just banging a tambourine like on the, in the corner, like just I guess it, you would say. As a parent, let's practice that and nail it so that when they're out there, it's almost less, they're not even thinking about it. They're just, they're prepared, right? That's a big part of not even just performances, but just any sort of environment, just being ready, being ready, right? Preparation is key. So it depends on the age of the child, Bran. Like for very little children, we do for the littlest of littlest, we can... Use feelings charts, smiley faces, scarier faces, different bar graphs, one, zero to three for older kids, zero to five bar graphs to really get a sense of their comfort in doing things. Now, a three and a half year old, it's hard, a three year old, but they can relate to something being scary or nerve wracking. And we also can see that most of the young children in situations may be shut down. So in a shutdown child, and you know that in any group situation, even in the regular classroom, they're more shut down. How can we practice, practice, and then, because the environment changes. So one of the things I talk about with selective mutism being a social communication anxiety that changes from setting to setting and person to person. So yes, at home or with their buddies or with some relatives, maybe they're putting on a show, maybe they're a magician and they're telling about their different, you know, magic tricks, but put them in front of a group and they're a frozen ice cube. So that's part of therapy and working with them. And you have to kind of go... In instead of going from zero to 60, we have to break up the steps. And sometimes I say that if you think about going from the first floor to the second floor in your home, there might be 20 steps. So maybe the first five steps, you have to cut, 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 cut into smaller steps. So what can that child do at that school play that will get them through it where they feel good 
rather than the than pushing too much where they're shut down and anxious. And that's the art of therapy brand. I can't say to every one of our listeners, this is what you need to do. I need to say that every child has their unique needs and every child presents differently. I've never ever met two kids that present exactly the same. Do many of them have different characteristics that are similar? Absolutely. But just like no two people look exactly the same, even though they may have two eyes and nose, two ears and a mouth and dark hair, they look completely different. And that is no different than treatment. So it's about understanding that particular child, who they are and what they're, where they're functioning. What are their whys of SM? What are their baseline stages? What are we working towards? Are they further along in treatment? Are they a performer or are they more of a shutdown, overwhelmed child in a group? Like it's about knowing them and trusting your treatment professional. And what I would say to every listener here is you need to go with your gut. If you feel your treatment professional is right in tune, then listen to them because they know and can guide you. And that's the part of therapy to not only get the guidance from your treatment professional, but working with your child. And the older they are, the more cognitive it is, the more CBT, cognitive behavior, working with them, getting them through these difficult times, working at a stage that they're comfortable with and a goal that they're comfortable with and setting these realistic goals. So I think the best way to answer your question is every single child is different. And what one child can do on paper may look, be completely different than what they can do another child can do. So it's about knowing that child. Look, listen, and learn. Okay. Look, listen, and learn. Okay. I want to get to two more questions while, while we're doing the mailbag. How this is more real world. So leaving the school, going to, into the real world, how should I approach going out to a busier crowded restaurant or department store during the holiday season? I guess the, in, in other words, should I bring my, my child teen child or teen with me? Should I have them avoid the environment? How would you approach that as a, as a parent? No, oh, great questions. Again, wonderful opportunity for exposures, right? This is a perfect opportunity holiday time, which is why I say to families, we need to take advantage of these times. But as I said at the very beginning of this mailbag episode is that we have to be realistic because holiday times are usually the loudest, the largest in terms of, you know, places we go, lots and lots of people, last minute shopping, whether it's you know, Halloween holiday time to Thanksgiving to all the religious holidays and so forth. It's a busy, busy, busy time and often very exciting, but can be very overwhelming for a lot of our very sensitive individuals. And so we have to be realistic. So we need to pick usually kind of, we talk about the three L's, loud, large, lots of people, but then I want you to think about the three S's the more quieter or silent, small and secluded environment. So if you love Target or Walmart or some of the bigger stores, go during off times, brand. go doing the different exposure opportunities, practicing handover, takeover, frontline, doing the high buy games or goals for the older kids. Someone says, hi, they are they doing the waving game and the different types of waving and can they wave first? If someone says, hi, how are you? Is the child saying, good, how are you? Where are they on the bridge? So it's about knowing where they're at and what games for little kids or goals for older kids they're working on. I mean, doing the store exposures, whether it's scavenger hunts and we're training parents, which is really, really important of how to bring their child into that opportunity is again, a really important aspect to this. It's not just what can I expect from my child, but how can parents, you know, facilitate very productive exposures. And that's again, where they need that advice and recommendations to know where their child is at 
and what those expectations are. So doing the store exposures, the restaurant exposures, pre-planning, creating the visuals. Again, the visuals to see are very important, having a list of what they're going to get, knowing whether it's hot, whether they're verbal and it's, hi, do you have thanks? Or hi, where is the thanks? Whether it's scripted or unscripted, whether they're being uh, using their parent or their sibling as an intermediary. Excuse me, sir, can you help us? Sally, are we looking for this or that? No answer, this or that? Tell me. Like it's how we talk to our children, how we bring them into the encounter. Or is the child just practicing handing and taking? Can that child even do handing and taking? Does the parent have to hand over together with the child the credit card or the money or the items on the conveyor belt or showing somebody what they need or pointing to a a menu in a restaurant? Where is the child on the social communication bridge? How are we bridging up? We're going to bridge up in quieter, smaller, secluded environments, as I call silent, small, secluded. Are we going to bridge down in larger, louder, lots of people environments? So it's really about parent education and really working with some of our older kids and teens on their comfort level and planning their goals. I mean, I talk about, you know, preparing. I talk about greetings. We talk about questions that can be asked, the common holiday questions that I want to go over briefly, but it's really about having a bunch of games, having a bunch of goals for the older kids and teens that they're working on in a positive, upbeat manner and having a reward process in place. It's really based on the child, their age, their whys of SM, their stages of social communication that we're working towards and, you know, really facilitation. I mean, implementation, implementation, implementation facilitation is critical. We cannot rely just on children to do these goals and games on their own. We as parents, adults in their life, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers have to know how to engage and bring that child into social communication opportunities as best that they can. So uh, we're going to get to common strategies, but I know, and I know it depends on each, each individual uh, situation, but what's like a good goal for a child when going shopping is it and i know it depends on where they are on the bridge but is it asking you know what aisle is this this toy or is it actually taking stuff out of the cart and giving it to the store clerk when they're checking out like what are some like really like i know it's, it's tough to answer but generally what are some good goals to set i think handover takeover and frontline is good for any human being because what happens with parents even as kids age and go into teenage years is they're very used to doing and speaking for their child so they'll answer questions or they're the pusher parents that will ask them to speak without any preparation to put their thoughts together and say it and can shut their child down so the parent education is critical but handover takeover is a social engagement trait that will that will literally lead to social engagement and progression of communication where parents are placing their child on the front line in front of them welcomes others to question them. And that's where we get into common questions that people can ask in different settings, whether it's in stores or restaurants or at family gatherings. So being ready for the common questions of, hi, how are you? Can I help you in a store? Would would you like to drink? What would you like to eat in a restaurant? How many people are in your party? Really getting ready for some of these common questions, whether it's an I spy game for younger kids or it's a goal that older kids are looking towards and they're doing action plans. So as much as I want to give you like one strategy, I could tell you I have hundreds of gigabytes of strategies. It's the most common things to work on. The most common things to focus on are to understand where your child is 
on the social communication bridge and what you're working towards on the bridge and knowing when to bridge up and bridge down. So frontline handover takeover is easy. It stimulates eye contact. It welcomes questions from others. If you are going to do a store activity, like a scavenger hunt for younger kids, creating the visuals of the pictures, going up and saying something like, excuse me, miss, can you help us? Sally, are we looking for this or that? You know, playing it as a game where they're getting rewards, maybe the child's verbal and they can say, excuse me, can you help me? Or excuse me, hi, do you have this? Or where is the, and having it scripted in the beginning. So again, it's not an easy answer because these kids are at different stages on the bridge for a person that's verbal, like already verbal. I mean, their goals are verbal goals, right? Or they're working towards verbal goals and the parents are asking questions to bring them in to be verbal. But using scavenger hunts or store-based goals, having interview questions or assignments for relatives and aunts and uncles, whether it's guess who games for little guys and they're bringing characters that the people can guess about, or they're doing interview questions or assignments that are interview-based because that allows for give, take, back, forth of social communication, holiday questions, jokes, riddles. It really is about any and every opportunity to help that child be engaged in all social communication opportunities, but based on their unique needs and where they are. Too many people, too many people, too many parents, too many teachers, unfortunately, too many treatment professionals focus too quickly on speak, 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 talk, talk, talk when they're not ready. If they're not ready, you cause avoidance and increase in anxiety. So you need to meet the child where they are and then move. Because that's going to respect the child's comfort level and help them feel safe. And when they feel safe and build that trust, they can make so much more progress. That's why the social communication bridge is so critical. And we use that social communication bridge in Communicamp. We use it in all of our treatment to help children feel in control and to feel successful. So even if they're not verbal yet or able to be verbal yet, they see where they're at on the bridge, Brandon, and they feel good because they're moving and it's okay to bridge down when they're anxious or overwhelmed and we help them understand themselves. And that's the long-term coping skills. That's how they cope through situations. That's how they build their skills. Brandon, do you think I'm passionate? <laughs> no, I think that's where, that's where the treatment, SCAT treatment differentiates itself from other, other, other ways to seek help within a child or teen as, as SM. I think it's understanding that it is more than, than just not speaking. But I want to jump to common strategies before we, we go. We're already, we've already spent a little bit more time on these questions than I thought, which with, for you, that's not difficult. <laughs> so last question. I just wanted to save some time at the end just for some common, some common strategies that anyone can use over the holidays for both children and teens. If I sent this to you beforehand, I just wanted to see what you, what you, what you wanted to, to say on just common strategies that we can use over the holidays. Yeah. And I think throughout this episode, I did mention a lot of them. I think it's about the most common strategies to work on are social engagement strategies. It's frontline, handover, takeover. It's working on greetings. It's different types of greetings, whether it's waving games, whether it's the high buy copy game or beating or racing an individual to say hi or buy if they're verbal. It's about scavenger hunts for little guys and store exposures and knowing what they're asking, how they're asking. It's about creating sandwich questions and action plans are where are you going? Who's going to be there? What can they ask? What's the answer? 
what can, you know, it's about helping them in a very controlled step-by-step manner. It's about games for little guys. It's about goals for older kids. It's about using a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy for older kids, tons and tons of exposures. Behavioral therapy is critical in this population. And I just want to say that I can't minimize the importance of educating others. I said that at the very beginning about my child worksheets. It's about educating others that will be around their child to what to do and what not to do. And also about teacher education and so forth. But I do want to say, I know you mentioned about SCAD and about it being, you know, such a powerful treatment. I want to say that there's so many wonderful treatment professionals out there, Bran, and the key is to understand these children. And SCAT is not a unique treatment. It's a evidence base that includes many different types of different evidence-based treatments, desensitization, modeling, fading. It's very behavioral, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a whole person approach and treating the person and not a symptom and understanding that SM is a social communication anxiety where there's factors into why an individual's SM, why it's continuing and also the stages of social communication using the bridge. So it's a whole person approach. So I just want to be clear that it's not a unique treatment in the sense that it separates out from everything else. It's more that it incorporates all different types of evidence-based treatment in a unique recipe for an individual. It's not a unique separate treatment. It's a conglomeration of evidence-based treatments. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do we have any sort of like resources on our website for common strategies? Do we have any holiday related resources that you want to point people to? Yeah, I think we do. We also have a document that is called Preparation and Practicalities for the Child and Teen with Selective Mutism in the resource section of the website on selectedmutismcenter.org. I'm also have a, we also have a webinar that's coming out that's out. So we re- welcome people to use that. That's very, very helpful. So those are probably the two biggest resources. And now we have this podcast episode. So, and we have a podcast episode from last year. So we have multiple avenues to learn about best ways to support children and teens over the holidays. Okay. Any last, any last words as people head into the holidays, big time of year, exciting time of year, but stressful because of these social environments, these school performances, these large family gatherings. Any final words before we send everybody out to enjoy the holidays? Yeah, I want all of our listeners just for a second to take a real deep, good deep breath, just like a, and just calm down and not be overly anxious, but be comfortable, try to be upbeat, try to be positive, look, listen, and learn, meet your child where they're at, and really go into this holiday season with a really positive mind. Our children are very sensitive. And when you project any worries, fears, negativity, and you focus on things they're not doing rather than all that they are doing, it it really is an amazing experience to see these kids metamorphosize when they can see themselves in a positive way. So I just want people to enjoy the holiday season, enjoy your family, and just have a wonderful, wonderful time. I think we should add just breathe to your treatment strategy. Yeah, I think that's great. We should definitely do a just breathe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, you know, in our communicamp experience, as well as, you know, when we're doing um, treatment at the Smart Center, we definitely work on meditation and breathing and ways for individuals to calm themselves. But I just think just breathe is probably something that a lot of our parents need to think about and really focus on because that anxiety for our parents is is strong for so many avenues of this. And 
I will say that I've never met, and I hope this is something all of our listeners are listening to, but I've never met a child, a teen, an adult that I work with that can't reach their capacity, whether it's overcoming selective mutism or whether it's just reaching their capacity in terms of social communication, if they have other challenges in terms of severe speech and language, whether it's autism spectrum, but helping them reach their capacity. I've never, ever met an individual that can't if they stick with this process. It's the ones that don't, that really fall off, that can't, that don't reach their potential. And so every single child, teen and adult can reach their potential to become a confident social communicator. And I need parents to believe that because once they believe that, it's amazing how that projects over to their child. I love it. So this is the last podcast of the year. We're planning some fun stuff for 2024. But thank you for doing this. I know you've told me in the past that people come up to you at camp and and things like that and say that they, they love the podcast. So I hope people are getting something out of it. And again, thank you for thank you for sitting down with me and sitting down with Jen all year and talking about these things because I think it's really helping a lot of people. Thanks, Brand. Thanks for all you do for helping this podcast be all that it can be. And I do want welcome our listeners to share the podcast because there's so many people that can benefit. And honestly, it's it's my way after so many years, 30 plus, I mean, being a physician for so many years, um, having a child that, you know, struggled with this, that's now a confident, productive human that's married and a medical, you know, a physician and all the families we work with. I mean, they can overcome it and beat it. So thank you for this wonderful opportunity for me to get the information that I've learned from everyone and anyone that's struggled with SM who've taught me this to get this out and about, get this out in the world, out of my head. Yeah. Well, on that note, I hope everybody has a great holiday season. Thanks, Bran. All right. Bye, Dr. E. Bye. If you have questions on anything covered in this podcast episode, we want to answer them. Please head to selectivemutismcenter.org forward slash ask D-R-E. And we'll do our very best to answer them in upcoming podcast episodes, Smart Center newsletters, and on social media. Thank you.